Welcome to the historic Ocean House, a luxurious hotel that pays homage to New England's golden age of hospitality. With timeless elegance and renewed civility, this treasured resort is the setting for our special broadcast of the Ocean House Author Series. Each program features nationally best-selling and award-winning authors in a salon-style conversation, hosted by Ocean House owner, actress, and best-selling author, Deborah Goodrich-Royce. You'll hear fascinating conversations with exceptional authors like Chloe Milos, Avery Carpenter, Patty Callahan-Henry, Victoria Christopher-Murray, Kitty Curick, and more. WCRI is pleased to partner with the Ocean House to present this ongoing series, which brings you the best and the brightest of the literary world. Now, let's take you to the Ocean House. Thank you so much for joining us for the Ocean House author series. I'm thrilled to introduce Christy Woodson Harvey and Deborah Goodrich Royce. Christy Woodson Harvey is the New York Times best-selling author of nine novels, including The Wedding Veil, Under the Southern Sky, and the Peachtree Bluff series, which is currently in development for television with NBC. Christy is a Phi Beta Kappa summa cum laude graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's School of Journalism. Her writing has appeared in numerous online and print publications, including Southern Living, Traditional Home, USA Today, Domino, and O. Henry. She is the winner of the Lucy Bromlett Patterson Award for Excellence in Creative Writing and a finalist for the Southern Book Prize. Her books have received numerous accolades, including Southern Living's Most Anticipated Beach Reads, Parade's Big Fiction Reads, and Entertainment Weekly's Spring Reading Picks. Christy is the co-creator and co-host of the weekly web show and podcast, Friends in Fiction. She blogs with her mom, Beth Woodson, on Design Chic and loves connecting with fans on ChristyWoodsonHarvey.com. She lives on the North Carolina coast with her husband and son, where she is always working on her next novel. Welcome. <laughs> Christy. And Deborah Goodrich Royce's thrillers examine puzzles of identity. Reef Road hit Publishers Weekly bestseller list, Good Morning America's top 15 list, and was an indie next pick by the American Booksellers Association for January 2023. Ruby Falls won the Zibby Award for Best Plot Twist in 2021, and Finding Mrs. Ford was hailed by Forbes, Book Riot, and Good Morning America's Best of list in 2019. She began as an actress on All My Children and in multiple films, before transitioning into the role of story editor at Miramax Films, developing Emma and early versions of Chicago, and A Wrinkle in Time. With her husband Chuck, Deborah restored the Avon Theater, Ocean House Hotel, Deer Mountain Inn, the United Theater, Savoy Bookshop and Cafe, and numerous Main Street revitalization projects in Rhode Island and in the Catskills. She serves on multiple governing and advisory boards and holds a bachelor's degree in modern foreign languages and an honorary doctorate of humane letters from Lake Erie College. Christy and Deborah will now be discussing Christy's latest novel, The Wonderful, The Summer of Songbirds, and after that, we'll open it up to the audience for questions. So now, please join me in welcoming Christy Woodson Harvey and Deborah Goodrich Royce. Thank you, Lindsay. Am I on here? You can hear me, right? Thank yes. you. And hi, Christy. Hi, Welcome. Deborah. I missed you. I've, so we were together uh, in North Carolina, in Beaufort, North Carolina, and my daughter had just gotten married. So Christy invited me to stay at this cute little cottage where I think, other than when we were doing events, I just slept. I was so tired and I was so alone, blissfully alone. But Christy's mother, father, uh, husband, son are here. My mother's here. Our shared publicist is here. We've got, this is a family, a family affair. Family so yeah. welcome everybody. Yeah. So I so enjoyed this book. Uh, and it's always funny. You know, you would think that we would stick 
with the genre. I write these crazy thrillers, and Christy writes these beautifully wonderful, uplifting books. And <laughs> so we have the dark and the light, but it all kind of, I, we can absorb that. So all right, uh, we know that uh, The Summer of Songbirds, which I love the title, Thank you. is about three friends who went to camp together and their process of trying to save this camp. But you know, there's plot and then there are themes, so <laughs> there's always more going on. So why don't you tell us what this book is about? Okay, I, I would love to. Thank you. First of all, Deborah, thank you so much for having me. And thank you to um, everybody at Savoy and at the Ocean House um, for putting this together. It is spectacular. Oh, my goodness. And especially thank you to all of you because this book has only been out in the world for, this is the second day. It came out yesterday. <laughs> so y'all are getting, you're really getting in on the ground floor here of this novel. Um, and so I'm just so excited to get to be out in the world and talking about it. Um, but as Deborah mentioned, The Summer of Songbirds is about three best friends, Daphne, Lanier, and Mary Stewart, who met when they were the eight-year-old Songbirds, which are the, the youngest um, campers at Camp Holly Springs, uh, which is based on Camp Seafarer in North Carolina, if anyone's ever heard of that before. It's um, a popular sort of sailing camp, but also just kind of all-purpose camp. Um, but they have remained friends ever since, and they're in their, they're 30 now, getting ready to turn 30. And they um, are sort of known for doing each other's hard things, which I'll probably tell you a little more about later and, and you can read about in the book. Um, but they um, realize that this camp that they have loved so much, which just so happens to be owned by Daphne's Aunt June, is in danger of closing. And so they decide that they are going to try to come together and save this place that has meant so much to them. But of course, along the way, they come into contact with um, some old flames from their past and uh, maybe some old feelings, because what's a summer read without a little summer romance, if you ask me? Um, and there are also a lot of other things going on in this, book, in this book. So Daphne is an attorney, and she finds out that her best friend Lanier's fiance has done something highly illegal, and she has to decide whether she is going to tell her best friend and probably get disbarred, or if she's going to let her walk down the aisle and marry this man not knowing this big thing about him. But Lanier has a secret too, and when Daphne finds out, it changes everything about this story. So I, I say this is my love letter to the people and places who make us who we are. Um, I hope that it gives you that sort of warm, cozy feeling of nostalgia for that place that, um, that place in your life when you were a kid where you just felt free and you just felt like the world was out there waiting for you to grab it and like everything great that was ever gonna happen was just kind of like right on the other side of this thing. I wanted to kind of capture that moment in time. And so I hope you feel that when you read the book. So segueing off what you said, talk to us about this thing that you just mentioned. And you use very specifically that term, hard things. Hard things. There's this um, email uh, thread <laughs> that goes among the three friends. And it really has to do with uh, this tradition they have of asking yes. one another to step in somehow. So talk about yes. that. Well, I have to tell you, I have to give, I thought this was the funniest example. So. Um, basically, the concept of the hard things is something my husband and I were talking about. It was I wrote this book during the pandemic, and we were just saying something like, we were talking about how it's funny how in life there's some things that are so difficult for some people and they're so easy for others. And I don't even mean like, 
our innate skills. I mean, like, you know, some people are very confrontational and like they enjoy like the challenge of like standing up for something and other people are like, oh, don't make me say what I think, you know, and it's not good or bad. It just is what it is, you know, and so, and, and I was like, wouldn't it be really great if you could like just take your friends or your family or whatever and, and like everybody just do the hard thing for everybody else. And so that's what this group of friends kind of does. They split up these tasks that are really hard for them and they're really easy for the other ones and they sort of like run their life this way. And so I was laughing because I had my launch last night in Nantucket and Ellen Hildebrand said, yeah, it's like, I really hate to take my cardboard to the recycling and I just <laughs> wish, she was like, I just wish I had a friend that like liked to take the cardboard to the recycling. And would just be like, Ellen, I'm on my way. I'll come pick up your cardboard. And I thought, Okay, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I actually found that solution. For me, it was always taking dry cleaning to the dry cleaners. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So these bags of dry cleaning would sit mm -hmm. in my car for, you don't even want to know how long. <laughs> and I finally found this nice dry cleaner he'll pick up. So he's uh -huh. not my best friend, but he kind right. of is uh -huh. on that subject. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So what I was wondering, so you tell the book from different points of view, right? but not all the points of view. Right. So how did you pick that? Yes, um, that was something that, to be completely honest, I, I, I know we've, we talk a little bit about this and we talk a lot about this as writers, but um, I am what they call a pantser. So I fly by the seat of my pants. You do too, right? Yep. You're pretty like, we don't know what's gonna happen, surprise. Um, <laughs> and so uh, when I started writing this book, actually the first scene that I wrote in this book um, is about a third of the way through the book. And it's the scene that, um, hopefully all of you will read when Mary Stewart and Daphne and Lanier find themselves stranded on a sailboat and they are reminiscing, they're at camp, stranded on a sailboat as adults, and they're reminiscing about um, something that happened in their childhood that was kind of similar. And the exact same thing um, happened to me and that's what gave me the idea for this book. And so um, that was the first thing that I wrote in this story and it is from Lanier's point of view. And so I knew, it kind of gave me a setup right away for you know, Lanier's story and what that was kind of gonna be like. And then I knew that I wanted to write like an attorney who had a really difficult decision to make. And so um, I knew Daphne had to be a main point of view character because she was gonna have a lot of tough decisions to make. And I wanted to see those decisions through her eyes or I didn't think it was really gonna work. And June was a character that I almost did not give a viewpoint to, but as I started going through the logistics of why this camp was closing and what this camp had meant to these women in their lives, and how for some of them it became a place of freedom, but how for others it kind of became this crutch and this um, sort of thing that they were using to hide away from the rest of the world. I thought we really need to see Aunt June in here because if we don't, we're just getting told too much about the story and about the logistics of this camp. And I also, you know, she um, is slightly older. I mean, she's, she's, young, she's young for uh, for Daphne's aunt, but she's slightly older than the girls. She's 50. So um, it gave her a little bit of a different perspective on life. She's had a little bit more life experience than, you know, the, the younger girls. Um, and they're very, they're very close in age because her sister was a little older. So um, it wasn't necessarily like a, a complete... Um, decision that I made so much as it was just like as I started writing the book it kind of came in little bits and pieces of like okay well I think we need to hear from Aunt June now um, and the only thing you know I actually remember when my 
agent read the first draft of this and she was like, I love Mary Stewart. I wish we had her too. And I was like, nope. I promised myself after the last two books, I was not going to have four or five POVs on this one. I'm sticking to three. I'm doing three. It's going to be three. Um, and I think it works that way because, you know, this is a story about three best friends. And if any of you have been in a group of three best friends, sometimes that's tricky. <laughs> and so I liked not seeing Mary Stewart's point of view because she kind of serves as this go between between her two best friends and she's sort of the um, the problem solver and uh, the, the conflict resolver and all of that in the friendship, which, you know, some of us are sometimes. <laughs> sometimes our roles change. Some of us are that in the family. Some of that that in the, you know, so. Um, I don't even, I don't even, I don't know how I got on that well, from but the POV perfect, question. But. Perfect segue to my next question. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Which one of these ladies, if any of them, mm -hmm. is closest to you? Hmm. That's such a good question. You know, I know this sounds crazy, and I'm interested to see if you feel this way, too. But I feel like the characters who seem like me and the characters who don't seem like me all have, like, a little bit of something that's me, no matter what. And so, which is terrible to say, because, like, some of our characters are not very nice, you know? Um, and those are the most fun to write when you're like, I would never say that or do that or act like that, but she would, and this was so fun. It's like when you have that friend who always says the thing that she shouldn't say, and on the one hand, you're like, stop, and on the other hand, you're like, God, what would it be like to be like that person? Um, so it's either, like, um, so I don't know that any of them were necessarily like me, um, but but I do think, you know, there there are probably qualities, or like maybe maybe less qualities, and maybe more like moments in time. You know, when you feel, um, you know, a certain way about your friendships or your life or your career or you know something that you're struggling with, um, in particular. And you know, there were a lot of things. I mean, one of the kind of main struggles in this book is. Um, Daphne has had a past relationship with um, Lanier's brother, Huff, and she did not like that. And I remember writing this and my editor being like, well, I just don't think that's very nice. And I was like, but I feel like this is normal, right? Like, would you want your best, you know, your best friend Danny, your brother, at different times in your life is either really exciting or really, really uncool. <laughs> it depends, it's one or the other. Um, and so there were some different things like that, just that I remember, I'm an only child, so I never had to deal with that. But just things that I remembered that like came up for me, you know, um, from, from childhood and being younger while I was writing these, yeah. these girl stories. Well, and, and I would add to that, um, having been an actress in, youth, you know, yeah. a thousand years ago, um, that is exactly the actor's perspective. I, mm. I mean, whatever character you're playing, no matter what that character has done, uh, you have to find, th the task is to find a piece of yourself that you can use. So you're playing a murder, uh, murderer, odds are you've never murdered anyone, but you, <laughs> you go through that little toolbox of feelings that yeah. you have, whether it's, it's jealousy or obsessiveness or what have you. And, and you pick that, and then you kind of stretch it and work with it. And I, think, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so great. That's what you do. I have no acting prowess, yeah, so I wouldn't that, know. That's what you do. I mean, I was in the camp talent show, so. <laughs> you may have done it without knowing. I, I had no talent, but here we were. Yeah. So one of my favorite parts of the book is you, in the family of Daphne and June, um, it, it's not, you know, a storybook family. There, yeah. There's darkness in the family and sadness in the family. And I think when you read a book that is a lovely summer read and so uplifting, 
I, I think it's such a credit to the reader's intelligence and obviously to yours that you are giving us these fully formed people who are not just, you know, I don't know if anybody's seen the Barbie movie. I haven't seen it, but, you know, <laughs> this isn't about Barbie. This is about real people with heartache. So talk about that family. Yeah, and that was something, too, that just sort of developed for me along the way. And I, I did think a lot about, you know, who in this book is family and who in this book are friends, because I think those relationships are different. And um, so Daphne and her Aunt Joan, Daphne lost her mother um, when she was young, and who was obviously Aunt June, well, not obviously, but she was her Aunt June's sister. And um, Aunt June feels that she has failed Daphne in a lot of ways. Um, Daphne doesn't necessarily see it in the same way, and so that gives a lot of complexity to their relationship because there are a lot of things that are unsaid between them. And I think that's really what I meant about you know Camp Holly Springs. While it is this place you know that June has created that she wants everyone to feel safe and happy because that's what she made for herself. She came back to camp so that she could feel safe and happy. And that's what she wants to create for these girls. But in that, there are you know, a lot of wounds that are never healed. There are a lot of things that are never said. And throughout the course of this story, I think one of the most interesting things about um, June's journey, and it's not a huge spoiler, is that she really comes to realize that um, she has used this place that she created to kind of hide away from the real world. Um, that she has you know, sort of insulated herself in this little magical kingdom where she felt happy as a child to keep herself from having to face all of these other difficult things that she's been through in her life. And, um, and so while in some ways that serves Daphne because it gave her this kind of magical place to come as a child, to have those summers and to have that freedom and to have those experiences, it also has hurt her in some ways that she has to come to terms with, too. So, I mean, who knew summer camp could be so complicated, right? It's supposed to be like arts and crafts and like the zip line. I mean, um, but, you know, it is interesting to, to take people, to take people's real lives, real lives in the context of something like a summer camp and, and the nuances that that can, that can bring. And, you know, it's like everything else. I mean, everything's not good and everything's not bad. There's always sort of a middle ground. We'll take a short break and be back with the Ocean House Author Series here on WCRI. And we're back with the Ocean House Author Series on WCRI. And your life is not just writing. So since really the pandemic, you've been part of this uh, group of incredible authors, Mary Kay Andrews, yeah. you, Kristen Harmel, uh -huh. and Patty, Patty Callahan. Callahan. Uh, so you got together and you said, let's, let's put on a show. And you created this <laughs> uh, web show which has, what, close to 200,000 followers. And crazy. Yeah. Talk about the genesis of it, what brought you to it, how you thought it would go, and how mm -hmm. it's I think surpassed all expectations. Yes, well you actually said the perfect thing because I think that was actually the quote. So Mary Kay Andrews, this was her idea honestly. It was at the very beginning of the pandemic and 
you know, all of our book tours were canceled and we thought, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And it seems hard to remember. I mean, it was only three years ago, but it seems hard to remember that time of like, we weren't on Zoom all the time. Like I had done approximately four Zooms in my entire life. You know, that was not something that was a part of our vernacular. And so all of a sudden we were like, oh my gosh, we have these huge book tours. They're all completely canceled. What are we going to do? What are all these bookstores going to do? They have all these books of ours and we're not coming and people can't walk in the stores and this is a disaster. And so Mary Kay actually sent a text to the group of us and said, hey, um, basically what she said was, uh, I have a barn, let's put on a show. <laughs> um, and, she, she, and then she said, I actually have a professional Zoom account. Let's go live on Facebook. And we were like, Okay, great. And so we had no plan. Um, we did a Zoom together and, you know, she called it a rosé and wine. And that's what we did. We were like, oh, poor us. Our careers are over. What's going to happen? The world is ending. And um, then we were like, okay, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Get it together. Um, let's, let's do this. And so she said, well, let's just go live on Facebook and we can talk about our books and we can remind people that they need to support their independent bookstores or they're not going to be here when this is all over. And, of course, at this time, I mean, this is you know, April 1st of 2020. So we think that we were like two weeks away from being like back to normal life. So um, the first night we had zero expectations, just like what Deborah said. I mean, we thought no one's gonna come to this, no one's gonna watch us, who cares about, you know, seeing the four of us, and, or the five of us at the time, Mary Alice Monroe was um, a part of it as well. Who wants to see our five heads and squares on a computer? And um, in fact, Mary Kay wore her pajamas. Like she was so convinced that no one was gonna come. And so the very first night, I think we had like 1,200 people show up live for the show. And then we woke up the next morning and it had been watched like 12,500 times or something. And we were like, whoa, people are bored. Like, this is, <laughs> wow. Um, and so we were like, we've sort of tapped into something. And, and I think the comments that we were getting, they weren't just like, thanks for telling us about your book. They were like, oh my gosh, for an hour, we felt like we were kind of part of something normal again. And we felt that way too. It gave us something to look forward to. So we were like, okay, we're gonna go live on Wednesday nights. The five of us, our, all of our books will be out in seven weeks. And then of course the world will be back to total normality. And we will quit doing this and you know, go back to our normal lives. But of course at the end of seven weeks, that is not what happened. And by that point, I think there were like 10,000 members in this Facebook group. And we were like, this is blowing our minds. Like, how is this happening? There are all these amazing readers and they're coming together and they're, they're chiming in on these lives and they're talking to each other all week long. And um, people were like making friends and forming relationships during this like really dark time where people were, it was like giving them a little something to look forward to and it was giving us a little something to look forward to selfishly. So we thought, okay, we can't sit here and talk about ourselves for the rest of our lives. So we're gonna start having author guests. And so we, were, we thought, who needs us right now? Like who could we really, really help out that could be our first author guest. And we were like, let's invite Kristen Hanna. <laughs> she, I think the week we had her, her, her paperback was number one on the New York Times paperback list. Her hardback was number one on the hardback list. And her show was number one on Netflix. So we did her a huge service for having her <laughs> on our little web show and podcast. Um, but I, it's been three and a half years. And we're still going strong. We interview authors like the amazing Deborah Goodrich Royce every single week. We talk about books and writing and life and um, everything, and um, we just have a really good time over there. But yeah, it, it, we had no expectations for this at all. And it's one of the few things that have ever, that's ever happened in my life that I look back and I think like, wow, how did that happen? Because I feel like so many things we really are working so hard for. And this has just been like, 
let's go in the direction of what makes this fun and let's stay there. And of course now, you know, the world's open again. So we're able to go on the road together, which we do a lot. We'll all be in Tampa together next week for my Florida launch for the summer of songbirds. And um, it's been great. It's just been incredible connection and friendship. And I actually remember the world opening back up for like the very first time. And I had my very first book event and there were these women that came to the event who had like gotten to be really good. The thing your mom warned you about, they've gotten to be really good friends on the internet. <laughs> um, but they were meeting at this event and they were so, I mean, there were these women like crying because they were like, you, like, you got me through the pandemic and they'd never met each other in real life before. So it just became something that we never ever anticipated and um, has been just really incredible just to see those relationships form. And I think readers, and they're probably writers in the audience, I find sure. they're always writers mm -hmm. in the audience, love mm -hmm. to hear about work-life balance and how mm -hmm. you organize your time. I mean, mm -hmm. so you're writing, mm -hmm. you have a young family, mm -hmm. you're running this show, I don't even know how you do all that. So uh, do you have a, a rigid schedule? What, how do you organize yourself? Yeah, it's pretty, well, it's, it's funny because I don't know how this is, but for some reason my schedule is a lot less rigid in the summer, but I tend to get as much done. So I'm like, why is that? I can't explain. Um, but during the, you know, during Will's school year, I very much like we go to school and then I try to write for the first couple hours of the day when things are quiet and my brain is focused and I can like be really immersed in a story. Um, I try to write about 2,000 words a day when I'm really into it and I'm like getting closer to the end. I'm usually writing much more than that. It's almost to the point like my poor family. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't come out of my office because I'm just so immersed in the story. And no one wants me to come out of my office anyway because when I'm not in my office, I'm still thinking about the story. So I'm like still living in the story and people are talking to me and I'm like, what, what? Where are we? We're in Beaufort. Um, but that's usually only a few days, thank thankfully. So it's usually like right when I'm getting to the end. Um, but as you well know, there's a lot more that goes into writing a book than writing a book. <laughs> and um, in, in fact, I think I used to imagine like how I would sit at my desk and then these books would like float out into the world and they would just, people would find them and it would be wonderful. And um, that's, not, that's not how it happens. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of publicity and a lot of marketing and um, especially when we're getting ready for a new book to come out, it's just, it, sometimes it feels like you're playing whack-a-mole. It's like you'll get like, and it'll be like full days of you know interviews or things like that, and it's fun. It's fun in its own way. And then of course, you know, the, the travel um, is different too. But I try to like when I'm working on a draft, I try to write every day, and I write a first draft pretty quickly, like probably like six to twelve weeks, depending on what the story is. Um, and then I edit for 152 years, <laughs> and then I turn the book in. So it takes me a lot longer to edit than it does to write. Um, unfortunately, because the writing is my great love and the editing, I have sort of a, I don't dislike it, but I don't love it like I love the writing. So, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's sort of like a little circular process. Like I'm writing and then I'm editing and then I'm touring and then I'm writing and then I'm editing and then I'm touring. So it's and do you works. write on the computer? I do. There's no freehand. What do you, do you, do you? Computer. Computer, yeah. Computer. I will print out and, Me too. and put my feet up on a sofa uh -huh. and edit like that. Okay, but do you yeah. find, so I will be reading the book on the computer and I'll be like, this draft is like perfect. It's so clean. <laughs> and then I print it out and I find like 14 mistakes per page. And that is not a hyperbole. Like yeah. I will truly find like 14 mistakes per page. And I'm like, how is that? And I think maybe it's just 
that's just how we, we well, just read a, better. There's a fabulous meme that I've seen out there, mm -hmm. and it goes something like, God grant me the perseverance of a typo that survives 58 <laughs> rounds of editing. Right. Because right. it always happens. Mm -hmm. A book gets printed and you think, how? No, and there was this thread going around on Friends and Fiction and someone was just very upset because there was a typo in a book and they've got this to be this thing. I had to like delete some things. I was like, oh God, there's name calling in Friends and Fiction over a comma. Like, here we go. Um, this is supposed to be a happy place. It was really funny. but. Um, but, but yeah, it's like, and, and it was very up in arms, like, how can these people do this? And it's like 400 people have read that book by the time it goes. It's been through copy edits. It's been through copy edits again. It's been through regular edits. It's been through us reading it a thousand times. It's been through cl a clean eye read, a proofreader. I mean, it's unbelievable. And there's always something that sneaks in always. there. There's always. always. And I think it's because your brain just starts to see what, it's, what you want, what it wants yeah, to I see. Yeah, yeah, it just corrects. Yeah, definitely and corrects. So, so here you are, we are in 2023, you've had, what, four books come out since the pandemic started, and, yes. but you're finally back on the road, yeah. so how, how is, I mean, I, you're two days into this, yes. but <laughs> how are you holding up? <laughs> well, the Ocean House has been really challenging for me so far. <laughs> it's... Not exactly what I'm used to. I'm kidding. It's fabulous. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? No, it's amazing. Oh, it could not be better. Um, no, so I actually weirdly, um, so it feels like Falling came out, of course, like in, in that shutdown part of 2020. So there was no touring for that at all. And then I really smartly thought, well, I'm going to write two books next year because I'm not going to be able to tour. And that's, you know, that takes a lot of the time. The touring is a lot of the intensive part. And usually, this is a pretty short tour. It's about two weeks. Usually I tour like four to six weeks, thanks to our publicist nicknamed lovingly the author killer. <laughs> She's re referring to the beautiful uh -huh. Kathy Bennett. Uh -huh. You Kathy, should wave. Raise your hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, she's um, it's a it's a loving nickname, but she it's normally and she she'll be prepared about sometime around week four. I'll call her and she's like, I I know what you're gonna say, but you agreed to all of this. <laughs> I'm like, I know, but I'm so tired. You know, you've been doing this for months. So, um, but but so weirdly, so the wedding veil came out and there was like this little dip like in the south in COVID and things were kind of open a little bit and so we ended up doing like just a southern tour and then I thought okay well there's no way that lightning will strike twice and then Christmas and Peachtree Bluff came out a few months later and there was a little dip in COVID and I was able to go out on tour again and so um I really haven't missed a tour which is kind of crazy except that one I only missed one tour in four books um but I will say this feels different. I mean, the vibe is definitely different. There are no, you know, they were still masked and smaller and that kind of thing. Um, but it's, it feels incredible to be back out on the road. And this is, I, I really, again, those Southern tours, they were very much like where I could drive, where if things had to be canceled, it wasn't a big deal. You weren't changing flights. So to get to be like, you know, up here and like with these amazing people that a lot of them I haven't met before has just been really great. And Nantucket was spectacular and um, this is spectacular. All the other events have a lot to live up to is all I'm gonna say. <laughs> it's gonna be tough, it's gonna be tough. So I, we're going to open to audience questions in one minute, but do you want to talk about what's next? What's sure. coming up for you? Yes, because it's coming soon. Okay. <laughs> it's coming in hot. Um, in fact, um, I was laughing because my copy edits were delivered to my inbox yesterday. 
And like, there's a header from my editor that's like, don't open this right now. <laughs> and I, of course I did. And she was like, she was like, you don't have to look at these. You have a really long time, but I wanted you to have them just in case. Um, and so my next book is called Last Summer on Sunset Lane. I'm not really good at talking about it yet, but I'll like, I'll try. I'll tell you a little bit about it. So um, I will tell you this. This is a story that has been percolating for me for like five years. And I can't tell you why because it gives away the story, but it's sort of based on something that actually, part of it's sort of based on something that actually happened in my family. It was like a family story I'd heard a lot. And um, I just had this like light bulb one day of like, what if that's not actually how it happened? Like I'm going to rewrite the ending of this thing that happened in real life, kind of like you do. Right? Yeah. Especially in Reef Road. <laughs> um, I'm going to sort of rewrite this story. But so um, there are two points of view in this story. There's a grant, just two. I'm so proud of myself. Um, <laughs> there's a granddaughter um, named Keaton. And when the story opens, she's kind of at this low point in her life, as one tends to be at the beginning of a story. Um, and she finds out that um, she knows that her grandparents um, died before she was born in this kind of tragic accident. What she does not know is that her mother and her uncle have kept their house um, in Beaufort, North Carolina, where I just so happen to live, for um, all of the years since they passed away. And this blows her mind, and she's like, are y'all crazy? What are you doing? And they finally decided that they're ready to let go of this house. And so neither one of them wants to go or has the time to go clean it out and get, ready to, get it ready to put on the market. And so she um, goes to Beaufort, sort of not exactly knowing what she's getting into, and sort of walks into this 1970s time capsule. Um, of a house where everything is left exactly the way it was the night that her grandparents died. Um, and so that's, um, that's Keaton's story. And then in the past, we are seeing um, her grandmother's story. Um, Rebecca St. James is her name. And uh, she is known uh, all throughout the South for her entertaining. She's a glorious entertainer. And so we're seeing her story unfold from 1935 to 1976 and um, finding out, sort of as Keaton does, what it is that actually happened to these people versus uh, the story that's being told. So anyway, it's, I, I love Jodi. It, it comes out um, April 23rd. 2024. So the advanced copies will be ready in August, which is insane. I'm like, wow. wow. Um, I know. So that's pretty exciting. So I'm like, I got to get home and write another book. <laughs> no pressure. We'll take a short break and be back with the Ocean House author series here on WCRI. And we're back with the Ocean House Author Series on WCRI. We are ready for your questions. Try to wait for the mic since you are on the radio and oh, we want to right. hear you. Oh, see, I had forgotten. Who yes. knows what I said. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, so do you always start at the beginning? Do you ever start in like the middle or the end and know the ending of a story? I never start at the beginning almost. Okay. Um, and even if I think I've started at the beginning, it's usually not the beginning, okay. which is kind of funny. Um, I don't know why, but it's just always how I've done it. And I think it's because a lot of times, like I said, I'm a pantser, so I don't exactly know what's going on. A lot of times I just will have like a conversation between two characters or a scene that I can't get out of my head. And so 
when that happens, um, I've learned to just kind of go with it. <laughs> um, and if I can kind of figure out like where wh what it is and where it's taking me, it usually ends up leading somewhere good. Um, although a lot of times I'll be doing that and I'll realize I have, I'll be, think I'm working on two separate stories and then I'll realize they're one. Uh, so that's happened to me several different times. Because a lot of times I'm working on several things at the same time. But I will say, I think the more I write, the more I have like a general premise, like to give you an example, so my second book, Lies and Other Acts of Love, um, is, is not about this at all, but it ended, but the beginning um, of the story, I had, actually my dad was the mayor at the time, my dad's in the back, and he, I'm home in Salisbury, and my dad gets this phone call, and it's this woman, and she's just outraged, because she, my dad was a, a, a judge in the town chili cook-off, and she won second place. And does she know that the person who won first place was a professional chef? That is not fair. Like, there's no prize. You got a ribbon. Like, there's, it's not like he won $10,000 in a trip to Jamaica. Like, it's a ribbon. Um, and I thought, this is amazing. This is going to be. And so the first scene I read of that book is Annabelle, my character. Annabelle, like your great daughter. Picking up the phone at this church office where she's working as the receptionist and talking to this disgruntled parishioner about the chili cook-off. Well, of course, it ends up being like a very different story than the chili cook-off, but that was where it began. So, But then, you know, sometimes like with the summer, oh, I don't know why I thought that was a picture of the summer of songbirds. With the summer of songbirds, the radio doesn't know. The summer of songbirds. <laughs> um, I knew I wanted to write a book about a summer camp um, and about, you know, a summer camp that's in danger of closing and some friends that come back together to save it. So I had a very general premise and idea for that one, but sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. So it just kind of Depends. Do you ever use voice recognition or, or you, everything's done, you type it yourself? And yeah, I, I, um, I do not use voice recognition and I wish, I mean, that would be great. I know writers who do, um, you know, who are able to just like talk their stories sometimes. I'll try to do that. It happens a lot of times if I'm like walking on the beach or something where there's quiet and I'm not listening to anything and I'll get, you know, these thoughts and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's so like poetic and it's so beautiful and I'll say it into my phone and I'll go home and type it and I'll be like, that is garbage. Like, <laughs> no. And I don't know what it is. Like, I wish I could do that, but it what, what, what it sounds like up here and what it sounds like coming through my fingers are just not the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> But I'm also a super fast typer, like super fast. Like you wouldn't believe it. Like did you would think. Did you take typing? Yeah, like from, from kindergarten. So I mean, I've always been, I am, seriously, you can ask my family. It's like smoke should be coming off my fingers. So who's your favorite character that you've written and will we see that character again? Oh, that's a good question. And my favorite character that I've written and will we see that character again? I mean, I, I have a really soft spot for the Peachtree Bluff family. There's just three sisters and a mom and I love them. And um, they're just, they're, I don't know, their family dynamic is just, it's like, it's very real to me, I think, because I've written four books about them. And um, I could see writing another Peachtree Bluff book for sure. Um, I don't know if anyone else thinks that's a great, I mean, I think the read, I think readers think it's a good idea. Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you. All right. <laughs> I get a lot of emails about Peachtree. Like, why have you not written more Peachtree? And I'm like, oh, maybe I should. So um, I, I do love them. And, and I, Honestly, I loved writing Caroline. She was like the meanest, worst, most awful character I've ever written. Um, I get the most emails about Caroline of anyone I've ever written. I get the most Caroline's the best character you've ever written emails and the most Caroline is awful, how could you write her emails? So I get both. So, you know, 
Um, yeah, so if, if nobody hates a character, nobody usually loves them either. So, so <laughs> I'll segue a question on that. Mm -hmm. So uh, Peachtree Bluff, four mm -hmm. books, right? Four books. So did you know from the get-go you were going to write four books and not five and not three? No. So um, I, the Peachtree Bluff story, I will, I'll try to keep this brief, but this was so strange because I was on submission for Feels Like Falling, my book that ended up coming out in 2020. And there was an editor I really wanted to work with that Kathy Bennett introduced me to, actually. Um, and she called me on the phone and said, I love this book, but I think you need to write a series. And I, I had had two books out in the world. I had never thought about writing a series. I hadn't even read that many series. I had no idea how to write a series. And I was like, I would love to write a series for you. Yes, this is great. Um, and basically ended up like blind pitching her this idea kind of based on this random conversation my mom and I had been having the day before and it like came out of my mouth and she was like I love this idea about these three sisters and their mother and they all end up living back under the same roof for like various reasons um, and I, so I knew it was going to be three books because they wanted three books but I think Peachtree was kind of one of those things that like took on a life of its own that no one had really anticipated and so when I came back and said it's the pandemic and it's Christmas and I'm sad and I want to write a Christmas book about Peachtree Bluff. Um, they were like, please write a Christmas book about Peachtree Bluff. So I think everyone was like happy about the decision, but there was never supposed to be a fourth book, but I really that wanted um, to write a fourth one. So Okay, um, two things. I had actually said to Christy, I started the book already and I love it. Um, what I liked about it is the relationship of three friends to have that was such a gift to have three friends that have such a great relationship. I yeah. think that was wonderful. So, I mean, I'm halfway through it, but I, I do like that. Well, but my question is, what are you doing with Friends in Fiction tonight when it's supposedly your <laughs> launch? <laughs> I have a clone. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, we actually, we pre-taped the episode. Um, we pre-taped the episode, yes. And it's so fun, though, y'all. Go watch it, because it's really fun. We play Friends and Fiction Family Feud on the episode. Um, and so we had all of the members of the group go on and, like, do the categories and vote on their answers. And it's, we have whistles and camp gear, and it's a lot. It's great. <laughs> That's good. That's good, yes. So, obviously, we probably all love the wedding veil. Oh, and, um... My question is, it was so different than your yes. other books, which I love that in an author, well, um, that it's not always the same. How long did it take you to research? Like, I was researching, too. Yeah. Like, is that true? Right. You know? Right. <laughs> and you right. look it up and you Google. And yeah. so how, what's the difference between, like, a peach tree bluff book and, yeah. like, the wedding veil? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so the wedding veil was my... Um, my last year's book, and it is about Edith and Cornelia Vanderbilt and their real life missing wedding veil. And it's a contemporary historical novel, so you're seeing, you know, a present day viewpoint, and then, um, well, two present day viewpoints, and then also Edith and Cornelia Vanderbilt. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, that it was it was a, a massive amount of research, especially because when I started writing this book, for one, I didn't think I was going to write from Cornelia's point of view, so I didn't think I was going to have any of that, and then I just was so interested in her story and how her life unfolded the way that it did, and I really wanted to kind of try to make sense of that for myself um, and for, you know, hopefully the reader, too. Um, and so I really wanted to research her as well, but there's not a ton written about them in books. I mean, there's a little, but there's not a ton, and so most of the research I did for that was actual magazine and newspaper articles. Um, I sort of split the story. 
I, I obviously did way more research than this, but I knew my story was mostly going to, I knew early on, I'll say, not from the beginning, but I knew early on that my book would take place from 1914 until 1934. And so um, that was what I did the bulk of my research on. But then, of course, you know, I had to know what came next and what came before and all that to be able to write the story. Um, but yeah, it was a massive amount of research. And I have to say, I mean, the world was shut down. I probably wouldn't have been able to write that book otherwise. I spent a month sitting at my computer and every librarian in the world had nothing to do. <laughs> so um, they, they were endlessly helpful. Um, you know, I, I worked with UNC libraries and the librarians there to find some things that I never would have been able to find on my own and to gain access to all of these newspapers and magazines from all over the country um, that, you know, wrote about them constantly during those decades because they were famous. I mean, Cornelia was the most recognizable woman in the world at that time. She was Kim Kardashian, <laughs> which is kind of horrifying, but that's, I mean, the most recognizable woman in the world. So, um, so yeah, it, it was very, very different. I loved doing it. I will definitely do it again. I give my publisher huge props for being like, yes, you should write this story if it's the story you want to write, because it was not in this nice Christie Woods and Harvey box necessarily. But I do think thematically, it, it still sort of fits in with my other work. But. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Um, so my friend recently finished a master's program, which allowed her to write her oh, first okay. draft of a novel. Cool. And I'm hoping to take back some advice to give her. Okay. Just if you could tell your younger author self what kept you going, what could keep you going as a new author, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, I think uh, like there, there were so many things that flew into my head when you said that. That's why I said, oh, gosh. Not because I didn't know, because there were so many. How long do we have now? Um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think the thing that I kept having to tell myself and that you have to keep telling yourself is that it only takes one yes. I think that was the really important thing for me to keep remembering because the reality is every book that's ever hit number one on a New York Times bestseller list, every author that has ever been the most famous person that you've ever met has been rejected about a jillion times. Um, and that's just the reality of that business. It doesn't mean that you're not good. It doesn't mean that your book's not good. It, doesn't, it just means it wasn't right for that person. Um, and you just have to keep going. I mean, I wrote three manuscripts before I was even like, okay, this is a thing I think I'm gonna pursue and I'm gonna try to get a literary agent. I mean, it, it was a really, really long, um, I mean, it wasn't, I say it was a really long process. It wasn't, it wasn't that long. In, in retrospect, it wasn't long. At the time, it feels painstaking because you know every time you're rewriting and every time you're thinking, is this it? Is this the draft? Is this the right one? The other thing that I will say is, I think I still have to tell myself this a lot, is that it's never gonna be 100% perfect. And the, the agent that you have, the editor that you have, they're gonna have a lot of ideas for your story too. So you obviously wanna get it as clean and great as you can, but you do eventually have to let it go. And so it's never gonna be 100% perfect and let it go and see what someone professional in the world thinks about it. And, um, but just because they don't like it, it just means it's not the right book for them. It doesn't mean it's not the right book at all. And I would add to that, <clears throat> when you get to the point where you're actually being edited. Yeah. Edit, edits are great, mm -hmm. and I love edits, but not every edit is the edit. That's you. exactly you right. You can sometimes get an edit, and if you know in your gut it's wrong. Yeah, you have to go with your gut for sure. You do. Yeah. Yeah, even a great editor can, I mean, it's still your story at the end of the day. And I think a lot of younger writers get like kind of caught up in that too, because I know I'll talk to a lot of people that are like, well, I'm a part of this writer's group, and I go, Ugh! because that's great, and it's so good, but then you have like seven people's opinion about every chapter that you write every week. Well, guess what? 
you cannot make seven people happy on every chapter that you write every week or you're never going to get a book done and you lose your way a little bit in your story. So I think just like, yeah, exactly what Deborah said. Well, and I've been part of a writing group that they don't actually give you edits. They, oh. it, it, it's a group of very supportive people who more ask questions or something. It's just... Yeah. It's a more helpful way. You really yeah, that was a bad example. I mean, a lot of writing. Oh, I mean, a lot no, of writing groups are great. A lot of writing groups are great. Some but some are not. But it is. But sometimes it's like, okay, well, if you if you're trying to please every single person, you you got to please yourself because it's your voice, it's your story, and at the end of the day, that's the most important. Thing. Yep. I think we have time for one more question before you can get all your extra copies signed. <laughs> Usually I say Mother's Day is coming up, but it's July, so that's well. I usually come out like April 30th. Labor Day is coming up. Labor Day is right around the corner for all of your Labor Day gifting needs. That's right. Quick question. I love the wedding veil also, and you had a great grandmother granddaughter relationship there, and it sounds like in your new book you have a great grandmother granddaughter, different type of relationship. Yeah. Are you very close to your grandmothers? Do they influence your life? Is that why you have those relationships in those books? Yes, um, definitely. So my um, my grandmother actually passed away right before the wedding veil came out, but she did actually get to read it, which was good. Um, but I was very lucky. I mean, I'm turning 38 on Sunday, so to have a grandmother um, for that long, and my grandfather passed away just about a year before. So um, that was my mom's parents. My dad's parents passed away when I was younger. But interestingly, they have also influenced a lot of my writing because I think when, um, I think both relationships have influenced me in different ways because the ones that passed away when I was younger, I have these very specific memories of them and this very specific idea of who they were. And so that has shaped me in a lot of ways. And then, you know, having these grandparents that I lived right around the corner with that I got, you know, for most, for a, a good chunk of my adult life too, um, was a very interesting experience also. And so I wouldn't say that Babs and Julia were, you know, my grandmother and me, but, um, Babs definitely has a lot of my grandmother's like humor and wisdom and, and all of those sorts of things. So um, she definitely came into play in that one for sure. On that note, happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, Christy, and thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this special broadcast of the Ocean House Authors Series with Deborah Goodrich-Royce. Please tune in each month as we'll bring you a new Ocean House Authors Series highlighting nationally best-selling and award-winning authors in a salon-style conversation. Hosted by Ocean House owner, actress, and best-selling author, Deborah Goodrich-Royce. The WCRI is pleased to be partnering with the Ocean House to bring you this ongoing series highlighting the best and the brightest of the literary world. Thank you once again for joining us. And in the words of Margaret Atwood, in the end, we all become stories. <laughs>